I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, Koshi here. Before we get into this episode of The Call, I've got a favor to ask. The bigger the Ausbiz audience, the more we can invest in great content and keep providing quality investment ideas to you for free. If you could just take a minute of your time to leave a review of the call in the Apple Podcast app, it'll help keep our tribe growing. And of course, don't forget to catch up with all the best interviews each day at ausbiz.com.au. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the call. Hello, welcome back to Australia's only live streaming business and markets channel. Great to have your uh, company on this Monday as we kick off the afternoon with the call 60 Minutes, where we analyse 10 stocks um, that you've sent in for adjudication. I put them to an expert panel and uh, it's uh, fast and furious, a lot of information to get through, particularly today with earnings season and a lot of specific questions that you've sent in about specific stocks, which is always great. Uh, let's welcome our panel for today, uh, David Novak from Wealthwise Education. David, welcome, a happy Monday to you. And uh, also Gaurav Sodi from Intelligent Investor. Gaurav, uh, what, last week of earnings? Are you surviving the earnings period so far? What's your read on it? It's been pretty good actually, David, um, especially considering um, you know the, the the extent of the the lockdowns here. I think we maybe expected a few more negative surprises and haven't got them. Most businesses are reporting really well, and as expected, um, few businesses are willing to give guidance. But I, I don't think that's surprising or necessarily a negative. Um, yep. So so far, so. Uh, David Novak, the amount of money that's being hosed at shareholders. Is that surprise? We've got buybacks, we've got special dividends, we've got everything coming. Well, it, uh, that shows you they've got nowhere else to nothing, you know, nowhere else to invest it. So, best thing is either share, do the share buyback or give it back to investors. A special, a special div that was as we saw last week with um, the likes of uh, BHP. But wow, what a wild uh, week that was! That's for sure in the resource sector, especially yep. iron ore. Yep, absolutely. All right, let's kick off uh, with stock of the day. Is something that I picked. Decided to have a look at Ordinate today. The company reporting full year net loss of $3.4 million, though better than the over $4 million a year loss uh, earlier. Revenue driving part of the recovery up over 10% on the year to $33.4 million, though no final dividend declared. Looking ahead, the company says it's navigated successfully a challenging operating environment and continues to take a long-term perspective on running and growing the business to deliver shareholder value. Ordinate, of course, is the, uh, uh, is the sound platform that um, connects video with, uh, uh, with sound and 
um, with its Dante protocol basically dominates the world as it can, continues to grow. Uh, Gaurav, what did you think of the result and Ordinate at these levels? Ordinate, of course, Koshi is one of our favourites. Um, yep. I've owned it personally for a long time. Um, our funds have owned it for a long time. And um, we don't spend a lot of time on the results. Um, I just don't think the financial metrics are all that, um, they don't tell you all that much for the moment. Um, there are operating metrics that are really important. And those are the number of devices that are going into um, AV products, um, the number of professionals getting trained on AV products, and the lead that Ordinate has over all of its competitors. And those metrics are just getting better and better. When we first bought Ordinate, it had about six times as many products as its nearest competitor. Um, it now has 19 times as many products as its nearest competitor. And wow. I don't even... I don't even call the rest of the industry competitors anymore. They're just other firms that happen to be there. They don't realistically compete with Ordinate. Um, and you're seeing more professionals jumping on the platform, actually getting trained up. And once that happens, it's just, it's a much better lock on the future of this platform, which does kind of get refreshed every AV cycle. So there is a, a natural point in which new competitors could potentially break in, but with with the lead that they have and with the number of individuals now getting trained on it, I just think this is unassailable. Um, forget about the revenue for now. Forget about the profit for now. Um, they have enough cash, enough cash flow to fund themselves, and um, the product is just taking off. So I, I, I'm pretty happy with the way this investment's going, and I think it's going to be much bigger in the years ahead. Okay. All right. So still like it at these levels. David, uh, what do you think? Yeah, look, um, just from what Guru said, uh, looks like uh, you know they, they've done quite well considering the conditions of COVID challenges they've had, the company and the expansion of their products. So, you know, they've got a global presence and, um, you know, they, they're quite optimistic about their outlook and the trend is up. So, you know, to me, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a hold. Uh, the valuation is a little bit, you know, up there, but, you know, um, if you ignore that, then uh, you'd certainly hold it. I, you know, if I wanted to buy it, I'd, I'd like to buy it on any pullback uh, yep. rather than up here at the moment. Okay. All right. Um, now, um, uh, bonus stock of the day, uh, if you like. And uh, I love the way how viewers are targeting panelists on the call directly. Uh, because on last Thursday, we are on the call with GenTrack. And the two uh, panellists then didn't know a whole lot about it um, and sort of gave a, a cursory look at the numbers and the like. Uh, Aaron, one of our viewers, came back to us and said, um, okay, let's... Uh, uh, Gaurav, an intelligent investor, uh, knows this stock well. Um, the panellists last Thursday didn't talk about the changes to substantial shareholdings in Gendrak with in insiders getting involved. Can you ask Gaurav for his opinion? So one out of the blue, Gaurav, um, an update on Gendrak and, and what you think of it? Yeah, so we've actually, we, we have owned Gentrack in our portfolios for about a year or so, and it's been a buy recommendation for us. Um, it's a fallen angel, if you like. Gentrack is a software provider that um, that makes software for um, 
for revenue collection. So it's mostly yeah. used in utilities, um, power and water providers, and it's an international product. So, um, so when revenue. we pay our, our water and electricity bills, it's yep. often then collecting on behalf of the, elect the utilities. That's right, David. And yep. it's actually quite a difficult task when you think about it, because you have different rates for different volumes. You have different um, offers and different products. So electricity provider might have um, different tariffs for gas, for electricity, um, for solar, and at different times of the day. So it's actually quite a difficult product. And the installation period is a long one, um, which is really great for the business because it means customers tend to be very sticky. If, as a business, the one thing you, you must do as a necessity is to collect revenue reliably and consistently. And so the software you use to do that in a complex industry like utilities is really important. So the as the company collects more customers, it tends to, it's almost, you can almost call those customers an annuity stream because they leave so rarely. The, the, um, the churn rates are tiny, except that is when the customers go broke. And Gentrack went through a period a few years ago where it collected a lot of customers during the deregulation of the UK's water, water industry. Um, and a lot of those small water businesses, which are challenges to the to the incumbents, they actually went bust. And right. so Gentrack lost a whole lot of new customers and it went through a very difficult, um, difficult period. We're watching the stock through all that period and and picked it up once um, Gentrack made some uh, management changes. I think the management that's in there now is much better than previous management. Uh, we weren't quite happy with the way they reacted to difficulties, but um, I quite like the current mob who are in there. It's worthwhile noting that they've also got um, a, a big chunk of their business makes software for airports. 115 airports around the world use Gentrack software um, to 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 show when planes are coming and and uh, and monitor movements of airliners. Um, so it's and that is basically earning not much revenue at the moment. Right. So the aggregate number doesn't look very good, but when you split it up into those two components, um, there's a huge improvement in the utilities business. And there's no reason to think that the airport's business would not pick up again once okay. conditions are up. And so what's I, the, I still think... Aaron, Aaron was asking, what's the significance? Is it Naos, the um, investment yep. fund manager, who's been buying recently and now has a 17% stake? Um, Aaron, look, I, I would say I wouldn't be watching who's buying or selling. Your opinion is more important than the opinion of others in this game. Your money's on the line, um, so make your own decisions. I, I don't know who's been buying or selling. It's not something I pay attention to unless it's an insider or someone I know. Um, right. And uh, so I, I would say that's that's a piece of information you don't really need to worry about. Okay. Focus on the business. All right, Aaron, there you go. We've gone to the guru on GenTrack. Um, appreciate the follow-up. Let's just start getting into the uh, stocks you've asked us to have a look at. And, and David, uh, first off, the track is Ostal, the... Uh, the big shipbuilding company used to be only based in Perth, now has shipbuilding yards right around the world, including the US, as it does lots of defence contracts over there. Hmm. Yeah, look, uh, they're reporting uh, tomorrow, uh, apparently, their, uh, their four-year results. So it'll be interesting to have a look at and see what uh, that that is. But their guidance back in June, if I was just looking... Before it's, um, they were saying it's a EBIT of around um, 110 million, million I think it was uh, 112 actually to 118 million. Um, so you know it's not overly expensive um, in terms of you know multiples, earnings multiples. But they've had their uh, COVID 
related supply issues that they've been dealing with and challenges. Uh, but there is there's one thing that um, I read here about their uh, there's a civil penalty pr proceeding against them by ASIC. So something you know, I, I, to be anything like that, uh, it, I I would avoid for the moment until that gets uh, resolved, settled. They did have some other proceedings, but they've uh, resolved that with ASIC. But uh, there's this civil penalty proceeding that's still going on. Uh, but uh, the other thing that's positive about it uh, is the trend has has turned back up here. So you can see it's been pretty ordinary, the, the trend of the stock. And one positive is it's now indicating that the trend is moving up now. So it's positive from that uh, that perspective. But uh, I would look, I'd wait to see what the results tomorrow, what their outlook statement is, and um, particularly what uh, what eventuates with these uh, these civil proceedings that ASIC has brought against the company. Okay. So, so at the moment, it's yeah. You know, if you've got it, you'd hold it, but I'd wait for those results tomorrow. All right. Uh, Joe says Gorev, who wants a view on Austal, I've been holding for six months. It's now just back into the green. What do you think of it long term? So, Joe, forget about your buy price. It's completely irrelevant. The stock doesn't care what you paid for it. Um, let's just focus on the value today um, and the price today. So, um, Austal is a business that's worth keeping an eye on because it has a genuine um, global specialty. It is probably the global leader in making aluminium hold uh, boats. And it does so mostly for um, very large uh, contracts. So governments use them for ferries. Um, defense departments use them for specific warships. It's done this for a long time. I think the management's actually really good. But it's a difficult business because the revenues tend to be very lumpy. Um, and for the last 10 years or so, they've had a, an enormous um, Department of Defense in the U.S. Um, uh, boat building contracts uh, known as the Littoral Combat Ship, the LCS. Now, that that entire program um, finishes up in 2024. And on our numbers, it looks like the business actually makes about 60 percent or so of its earnings from that one program. And that's going to wind wow. down. In a, in a few years. So forget about the cheap multiples. There's a very good reason that this stock is on a cheap multiple. It, it quite desperately needs to fill that earnings hole because um, earnings are about to fall off a cliff in the next few years. And that's a very dangerous time for a business. There's a temptation for management, especially in this sort of industry where they rely on long-term contracts written um, at cost. You know, they have to give the DOD a cost and, and have that working through the system for years and years. There's a temptation to write contracts to get revenue and profits up in the short term. Now, this is actually a well-managed business. I don't think management would do that here, but you know, you want to avoid businesses where that its incentive exists and be aware that revenue uh, is going to fall off a cliff. To the business's credit, what they've been trying to do is actually increase the um, the services part of the the company. So, as they build a ship, they end up with a large fleet of vessels around the world that require maintenance and servicing. Oh. And um, they've actually doubled the, the services revenue over the last five or six years, and they aim to get it up from, it's about 15% now. They want to get up about 25% so like of revenue. It's like a, like a car dealer that gives you a good deal <laughs> when you buy the car new because they know you're going to bring it back for a service and they, that's where they make the margin. I love the idea of this giant defense business calling themselves a car dealer. I don't think they do, <laughs> but it's accurate, yes. <laughs> right, okay, all right. So it's, it's a good strategy. I, I think um, it's a heavily reliant on new contract wins. So it's a hold for me from here, but keep an eye on it. 
with a few more contracts. Um, this is actually not a terrible business. It's way better, I might add, than electro-optic systems, which I got really cranky at last week for not generating cash flow. These guys actually convert about 90% of all their um, all their profits into cash flow, and it shows uh-huh. you how the, a business in this industry ought to be run. So this is okay. far superior to it hold. All right. Okay, uh, Maggie Gorab wants a view on uh, A2 Milk. She's in it at the moment. Should she keep holding on to it? Uh, share prices had a bit of a jump in, in August, particularly since the financial review was saying Nestle, the food giant, was maybe interested in uh, taking it over. That's nothing has been confirmed. It's, it's purely rumours. But share prices up 11%. Uh, but over the last six months, it's down 38% and 12 months dropped 65%. was a darling on the market until the China trade wars. Yeah, and I think there's actually more going on here than just those trade wars. I think the consensus uh, has the problem identified as being one of um, a broken channel. You know, that the Daigus, the foreign buyers coming to Australia and taking product overseas are no longer able to do so. And that's what's keeping um, revenues down. And that might be true. But from the research that we've kind of been doing, it looks as though the market in China has changed and perhaps permanently changed. Mm. Um, Ever since COVID probably helped this transition, but it was I think it would have happened without that anyway. Local brands in China are getting far more love from local customers in China than foreign brands. The last decade and a half or so has really been a story of foreign brands attracting a big premium and those brands being the ones that everyone wanted to purchase in a whole host of industries, um, particularly infant formula. And I think that's reversing now. There's a there's a whole bunch of new competitors in China gaining a lot of market share. The premiums that uh, these brands could command and, and A2 was selling, you know, tins of, of baby formula for $90 a tin, which is <laughs> extraordinary. That those kind of sales are, are long gone. So I actually think the business model here might be broken. The brand may not be as valuable in China as it used to be. There's a very good business here in traditional milk, and I think the American milk rollout is super interesting. But this is, uh, you know, 70% of the profits are in um, unsustainably high milk um, infant formula margins, and I, I don't think those margins are returning. Um, I think there's a takeover potential here. So. If you want to hang around for for the takeover, you can hold it. But I personally, I'd be selling and okay. staying away. David? Yeah, look, very much the same view. It's a speculative buy for the takeover. From It's touted that Nestle may make a bid. Uh, but, you know, look, the, the biggest risk here is um, the agreements that they have in place with their suppliers, you know, and, and the concern is they may be forced to commit to the you know forward inventory orders, despite the current um, um, lull they've got into Chinese demand. So that's the that's one of the biggest risks as um, was just highlighted. Um, you know, and so that would exact ex, 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 uh, ex, uh, create excess supply. Yep. You know, and um, and reduced margin. So yeah, it's an avoid uh, okay. for me, but only if you want to have a speculative play on it for that takeover potential. Okay. All right, David, Scott wants a view on Kodan, uh, saying keen for the panel's view following their results and the departure of the chief executive. Should you hold off investing until a new CEO is announced? Extremely solid track record over the past four years of growing sales, EPS and pre-cash flow. Kodan, 
of course, is in the metal detection business uh, and also a smaller division in communications. Um, I remember sitting next to the CODAM chairman at, uh, at the football a couple of months ago. He was telling me these amazing stories of African villages. When the gold price goes through the roof, they all club together and buy their own metal detector for the village and go out hunting gold. So uh, it's, it's, a, it's a funny business, but has delivered. Yeah, look, their numbers are good. Uh, if you look, if you focus on their growth, their earnings growth has been great. And as you just pointed out, it's mostly been in the metal detectors, uh, which represents 75% of their total revenue. They had, you know, the increased revenue for the financial year was up 26% on the corresponding period. But again, as you pointed out there, um, Koshi, that, uh, it, you know, is that if there's a, uh, the, with the demand of gold, if um, the gold price goes up, they'll probably increase um, the demand mm -hmm. for their metal detectors. Uh, but also, you know, their other uh, side of the communication side of the business is 22% of their revenue, but they reported a drop of 8% actually um, in, in the last uh, year. Uh, the trend at the moment is uh, just turned down. So for that reason alone, it would be um, technically not a buy right at the moment. But I, I do like the company. Um, and I would wait for signs that the, the trend uh, was turning back up here. But um, again, uh, depending on what happens with the gold price as well. But uh, yep. you know, their earnings have been great. It's, uh, oh, you know, it's, uh, it's strong. Uh, Gorad? This is, um, I, I love that story, by the way, Koshi. We heard that as well from, from the chairman, exactly the same story about the African villages banding together. And um, it looks as though that's exactly what happens um, when the gold price goes up. And it, it really shows you that there's so much cyclicality at play in this company. The sales are so dependent on high gold prices. And, and that's why over the last four years or five years, uh, revenue and profit increases um, have kind of mimicked rises in the gold price. And I think what it does is it makes a cyclical business look like a growth business. And, um, you know, it's trading at 30 times earnings and you and you break down these growth numbers. Um, as you say, they've got a little communications business in there that makes, you know, 16, 15, 16 million dollars a year. That's that's flat. That's not growing. All the growth in the earnings have come from the metal detection business, which has grown from 30 million in profit to $140 million in profit. Wow. Margins have doubled in that period. I think what you're seeing here is a um, is a cyclical high um, and the market's treating it as a conventional growth stock. This is one of the most dangerous situations to get involved with where you've got um, artificially high margins, artificially high profits and a PE ratio that's expanded hugely. Um, it's a sell for me. Okay, all right. Uh, Shabir Gorab wants a view on Nanosonic. Shabir says, currently down 60% from the January high. Company's busy researching and developing a number of new products which are due to be launched in the coming years. One's just been revealed, Auto Audit Pro. Is it a long-term buy? Now, it's, it's sort of main business, isn't it, is this Trophon disinfectant sort of technology for uh, um, surgery implements in hospitals and everyone has criticized it in the past saying it's a one-trick pony uh, and now they've launched this digital platform which um, traces um, infections and control, control measures, does it? 
Yeah, so this is a this is actually a very difficult business to value. Um, the numbers look just crazy. This is a one point seven billion dollar business. I think it's like twenty times revenue for a device maker. It's it's extreme. It's it's one of the most expensive stocks in the industry. But I think you got to look a bit deeper than that because when you break down the revenue model, the way um, Nanasonics accounts for his revenue is is um, is both unusual and distracting. Um, oh. In in some sales, some sales that it makes, it makes upfront. So it sells a Trophon unit upfront, um, which is very expensive. It recognizes that revenue, and that's the sale done and dusted. Other sales it makes are actually on lease terms. So you get a small upfront component, and then you have a long trail of um, of sort of. Um, reoccurring revenues and and so the combination of all those different um, and there are several other revenue models I might add so a combination of all those different revenue models makes um, earnings quite difficult to measure um, we know that the product is fantastic it's probably the standard now and if it's not it's, it's about in, in about a third of American hospitals and um, that that's growing quite rapidly as well um, and once you've got the equipment in there, the consumables, which are the really high margin stuff, you know, the the blades to the razor, they actually just keep on rolling through and they just make, right. they generate years of profitability. It's a wonderful business model. Um, I, I, I'm just a bit cautious about the valuation up here. I, everyone is aware it's a wonderful business model. I think that there's a sense that the new product has disappointed a little bit. I think the market was expecting a little bit more. That may be an opening um, I would say hold for now and keep an eye on it at lower prices. Um, this is certainly a business you want to own at some stage. Um, so hold for now. Okay. David? Yeah, look, uh, I, um, I agree with the comments about the, the valuation up here. It's, uh, you know, you wouldn't touch it if you just looked at that. But, you know, it's such an important segment of um, the, the business the, the, the company provides a really important um, service and hardware, I should say, but also They've recently launched this new software as a service product uh, called Audit Pro, and uh, that's going to be their what they call Halo's second pro uh, product. So the market's anticipating that it should incrementally add to the overall share price sentiment in the future, but they won't be. They don't anticipate any material impact for the next year or so. But that's uh, at least they're they're increasing. You know, they've got this diversity. They're offering this service. So um, it's it's for me. Uh, again, I'd go along the same lines as a hold, um, but I wouldn't be buying it at this stage. And uh, yeah, just uh, uh, the valuation just looks a little bit stretched. And uh, it's quite interesting. There's about nine brokers I think out there, so it's got some pretty wide coverage in the brokers. And their valuation as a mean average mean price is around 10% below where the price is trading at the moment. Right. Okay. All right. Uh, David Matilda wants a view on Beacon Lighting, the uh, the big lighting retailer that's ridden the um, uh, the, the lockdown boom as we all uh, upgrade our lights to to work remotely, uh, <laughs> change the aesthetics as we're as we're sick of them sitting at home. What do you reckon of Beacon? Yeah, the, the company's had some really good numbers here, and it yeah. plays a uh, pays a good dividend yield as well. So you know, I'm, I, it's got a nice trend. Uh, you know, the retail sector generally. I mean, obviously they're doing quite well while everybody's in lockdown. So you know, the trend is your friend at the moment. So this this is a hold or even a buy for me um, up here. It's not overvalued. It's 
multiple of about 11 times last time I looked. So uh, it's good dividend yield around 4.5%, fully franked. So uh, it's not overly priced in good earnings growth. So it, it, it ticks a lot of boxes and they've got a positive outlook going forward. So it's uh, the trend, everything, it ticks a lot of boxes for me. So I like Beacon uh, Lighting and the return mm. on equity is, is very high. It's around 38%. So really strong earnings growth here. So it's got <coughs> some momentum. Yeah. And um, yeah, so it's a buy. Okay, buy it. Uh, Gaurav? Yeah, Beacon. Um, you know, when we talk about really high quality retailers, it's not a name that pops up often. You know, that, that list is often populated by names like Levisa, Premier, mm. um, Accent Group and Super Cheap. There's a bunch of others. But um, Beacon is not one that typically sits on that list. And, and perhaps it should. This is actually a pretty decent business. Um, so the the margins, the gross margins here are almost 70%, which is extraordinarily high for um, for a, a retailer. And they're high because um, the company works on an unusual business model where it actually integrates its supply as well. So it designs and um, and owns a lot of its own supply chain. So it's a bit, it's a similar business to LaVisa in that way. Um, and the, the inventory turn isn't quite as good. So the it doesn't sell as much stock. It doesn't turn over as much inventory as I'd like, but it's pretty good for the kind of um, uh, products that it sells. Um, there's only 115 stores here, and the, the company reckons there's room for about 180 or so. Um, absolutely cracking result. Uh, about 10% of the sales are online, and there's really good channels here for commercial and, and trade sales, and they've got a little bit of international sales as well. What was really interesting about this, which I didn't realize before, was that they've actually purchased um, property. They've, they spent $15 million last year just, just buying up large format retail centers. A couple of those centers have beacon stores in them, but some of them don't. And that's, oh. that's an interesting play. That's unusual. A big change from the traditional retailing strategy. I would like to hear a bit more from management about the plans for retail. It's unusual for a retail business to to spend scarce capital buying um, buying its own property. So mm. the, the, the owner here owns about 50%, the founder owns about 50% of the stock, so it's probably not a waste of money, but I that's something I would investigate before buying the stock. You know, what exactly is the strategy here for this, this burgeoning property portfolio? But otherwise, um, look, this is actually a pretty good business and um, very undemanding on price. I think it gets overlooked a little bit. Um, I'm going to put a, a little buy on it, but but with the proviso that, that you want to go off and, and maybe just learn a bit more about okay. that property investment. Because Harvey Norman is mainly property too, isn't it? it it's, it's the model where you own the store as well and it's a big property play. Are they follow it, trying to follow that? Yeah, um, well, they, they, they franchise some stores and own others. So it could be that they're trying to turn themselves into a Harvey Norman model, which is a, a superior business model, to be sure. Yeah. So if that's the go, then I think mm. that's great. But if this is the other thing I was thinking was, you know, we've got these these new um, accounting measures that treat uh, rent as debt. Ah, and, right. you know, if, if this is a way to get through covenants or to make the books look a bit better, then that's something I'd be wary of. Yeah. So I really want to hear what management has to say about that investment. And if that's a if it is a Harvey Norman style play, that's a very significant change in direction. So we mm. probably need to hear about that. OK. All right. For those who don't know, the accounting standards changed in the last year, year or two were a lease 
forms now is sort of classified as debt on your on your balance sheet. Uh, let's just recap the uh, the first five stock stock of the day. Ordinator hold from David. Uh, Gorad still likes that. It's one of his favourite stocks um, uh, and has a rosy future. Ostel a hold from both the uh, big ship maker, but it's reporting tomorrow, so look out for that to see what happens. Uh, A2 Milk um, only if you buy it only if you're going to take a speculative punt on maybe somebody's going to take it over, as has been sort of rumoured in the financial review recently. Otherwise, it's a no from David and, and actually a sell from, uh, from Gorab. Uh, Kodan, a no from both. Nanosonics, a hold from both. And uh, Beacon Lighting, a, uh, a buy from both. Uh, with Gorab on the proviso, um, you do a bit more uh, work on, a bit more explanation from the company on why it's buying property now. Um, uh, here at the call, we've been following our own fantasy portfolio since the 1st of July last year, thanks to our partner NAB Trade. Any stocks that get two thumbs up, like Beacon Lighting has just got, uh, goes into the calls portfolio. Let's see how it's been do- going. For the week, down one and three quarter percent. For the month, down po- uh, up 0.7%. And since the 1st of last month, the 1st of July of this financial year, up uh, 1.9%. For last financial year, was up about 35%. Uh, some of the stocks recently added uh, Macquarie Telecom, MSL Solutions, Magnus Energy Technologies, Telstra and Rays. Some of the stocks removed, Jadison Education, Virgin Money, uh, Link Administration, the Asia Technologies, Tigers ETF. You can check out all the stocks and ETFs in the calls portfolio. Head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. And quick reminder from us here at Ausbiz, if you know someone who's interested in investing but may not be aware of us, now's the time to let them know. If you refer five friends and they sign up to Ausbiz, you'll go into the draw to win one of six prizes in a pool worth $10,000, including a $5,000 self-wealth trading account and some premium wines from Nepenthe. Uh, to enter, use the referral code in your COB newsletter that you uh, get each evening and uh, share with your networks. Still plenty of time to subscribe to Ausbiz. You can do so by signing up at ausbiz.co forward slash join and uh, get your entries in quick. It finishes on the 5th of September. All right, let's get into our uh, next five stocks. Interesting one now from uh, Jeremy on BCI Minerals. Uh, Jeremy says, can you take a look at a a small interesting stock called BCI? Um, What's the outlook like? It's a salt and potash uh, miner slash developer. Recently resulted pretty good earnings, revenue up 108%, uh, EBITDA up 248%, big increase in uh, net profit. Um, and Gorab Potash has sort of come into focus since uh, BHP sold out of oil and gas and has now bought into Potash. It has, yep. Um, Potash is interesting because it is a global cartel run by a handful of producers who control the price pretty tightly. So if you're an external producer who can break into that cartel and not have to abide by its... Um, by its volume and price rules, then you can actually make a lot of money out of potash. And I think that's what BHP ultimately aims to do. 
it is a it is a it resembles iron ore in that you're moving a lot of low value material around so i mean you can just see from bhp's own numbers they're, they're spending about seven billion dollars on building infrastructure um to move uh, before they generate a dollar of revenue um it's a big boys game potash this is not one for for little companies um and bci is not really a potash producer it's got a project potash project it's a salt project with potash buy credits but it owns a, an iron ore royalty, which is why the results look so spectacular, because you all know what's happened to iron ore prices. Yep. Now, it's worth noting that iron ore has fallen 40% of the last week or so. I think those prices are coming way down. Um, and we're on record as saying that they should be 60 to $70, nowhere near um, you know, the 150 or whatever they are now. Um, so you know, once those prices come back to normal, I'm not sure um, that... Uh, the royalty looks all that attractive. This is nowhere near the quality of Deterra's iron ore royalty. That is an outstanding asset. This is an okay one. Um, so the idea here is for BCI to use um, cash from the royalty, um, some debt and some equity to raise the $1.2 billion it needs to go off and fund the salt and potash project. Now, I don't know anything about the economics of salt. Um, in t 10 years as working as a resources analyst, I've never looked at a salt mine in anywhere in the world so i don't know how those economics work but um i don't fancy the chances of a 200 million dollar business raising uh 1.2 billion dollars in funding you know it probably yep. requires about 500 million in equity and um the rest in debt i just don't think it's going to happen this is um this this looks great on numbers you know it's got a lot of cash on balance sheet looks very cheap on operating on, on financial metrics but i think it's a mirage so okay uh david well, I'm going to totally disagree with uh, all of that because uh, this is the stock that I recommended in early July. That was, if you want a life-changing stock, this was the one. So I know quite a bit about it. Yep. So first of all, um, you know, if you look at the the um, the, the metrics, the the economic metrics of the Marty Salt High Purity Salt and Potash project, which uh, will uh, is scheduled to commence late. 2023 and the potash project in early 2024 um, now if you look at the um let's say the definitive feasibility study uh, they've had all the approvals ticked off with the um, environmental commission western australia they're just waiting for the final tick off on the western australian ministerial um, approval but they've already got a 450 million dollar approved loan from the federal government called the Northern Territory Loan of 450 million over 15 years. That's already been approved for this project. As at the end of July, they had $110 million in the bank. Um, you know, and you know, again, their revenues, their sole revenues right now is coming from that royalty uh, from the Iron Valley royalty from mineral resources, which is about six million tons. Now it's interesting, people have all different forecasts about the iron ore price. None of them get it right, of course, and nobody's got a crystal ball. According to my charts and i've been watching charts for more than 30 40 years is that yeah this expected pullback but you've got to remember the aussie dollar is back to about 71 cents so even though right now iron ore is about 150 us it's still a huge margin in these producers so you know getting back below 60 70 dollars i mean that's a long way to go before it gets there I'm, I'm not so pessimistic on the on the iron ore price and also with the passing of the infrastructure bill in the US, uh, you'll find that they'll obviously have a high demand for steel. 
So I'm still positive on the outlook for iron ore. I think there's a real opportunity here, but that's not the reason I like BCI Minerals. I like it because they've got 110 million in the bank. They've got that approved loan already. The net present value, if you look at their last uh, PDF, you'll see that um, the net present value of this project right now is almost 1.7 billion. This is a tier one project that goes for 60 to 100 years. They'll be generating an EBIT of $260 million every year. Right. For a market cap of 260, uh, you know, it's outstanding. So right now you wouldn't buy it because it's, the trend has turned down sh short term because of the iron ore price, but geez, keep this one on your watch list. Okay, all right. Uh, thank you for that. Our next um, stock is Tabcorp, and um, our, our viewer, has, um, Igor, says, um, Gorab would love this one. Uh, Gorab, you've been targeted by Igor. Uh, Tabcorp, the big wagering business. Um, what do you think of it? Gina yep. Lover. Eagle's right. Um, we we bought this during the March drawdown. Um, had our had my own for a long time, Tabcorp. Um, it's one of the worst. Was one of the worst managed businesses in Australia. Um, I've said it's right up there with NAB, AMP, and Tabcorp is the trifecta of, of awfully managed <laughs> businesses. But the the difference is that uh, Tabcorp is really two businesses. It's a wagering um, business, but there's also a lot lottery business in there. And yep. we've been looking at that lottery business for, for several years and um, identified it as maybe the best quality business in Australia. Um, it's a full stop behind that sentence. Maybe the best quality business in Australia. I think it's worth perhaps the entire um, Tabcorp um, market cap as it sits today. Wow. Um, you just saw... Um, a, a, a private equity firm um, take over Telstra's tower business at sort of 28 times EBITDA for a non-controlling stake. Um, you know, if, if this thing ever, it, when when this thing gets listed, I think it's going to be extremely valuable. And if it's not valuable on public markets, a superannuation fund um, or, a, or a, um, a sovereign fund will buy it because right. it's a it's a wonderful asset. Um, and in fact, the, the wagering business is actually slowly improving and getting better as well. And I, I love that there's new management and, and new board members there as well. Um, and so this is this has gone up a long way um, since we've been talking about it. But I still think it's a buy. And I think I can't see a valuation less than seven dollars on Tapcorp. Um, it's a it's a it's still okay. a buy. All right, David. Uh, yeah, look, I, I, I agree with all of that. I think that the gaming service is obviously the one that's, um, you know, because of COVID has, is is fallen behind. But there's certainly the lotteries business has picked up strongly um, and, and uh, online wagering, because what else are people going to do in lockdown? Uh, the, the only thing is with the trend at the moment, it's, it's turned down. So for that reason alone, it wouldn't be a buy for me. Although, you know, there's price much higher price targets out there. Uh, on the company, you know, when you look at about, uh, there's about 10 brokers and they've got an average price target of around $5.50. So it's, it's well below that. So, um, you know, it's, it, it will be a buy, but technically, uh, it's not a buy for me at the moment. Okay. All right. Uh, Michael wants to view David on Seven West Media. Michael says, uh, results are in line with expectations last week. Uh, although they flagged a high cost for this financial year, share price down 8% since the results. What does the panel think of Seven West? 
a current lockdowns a drag on the share price and is there a reopening play here as we look towards 2021 uh, or 2022 what do you, what do you think david uh, look at the numbers that uh, they reported recently look pretty good to me i must say i was looking at their um, their growth numbers here and their revenue is up 4% uh, uh, ebit up 105% to 254 million um, you know underlying net profit 126 million so you know they they they're on an earnings multiple of only about seven times and they're, they're actually getting some traction here in, in uh, the digital side of their business as well and um, and advertising. So I, I do like the stock up here. It's, um, I, I, right now, I'd like to see it turn up. I, the buy for me, again, coming back to the technicals here, it's just closed below. It's just trading below its 50-day moving average. So for that reason alone, I, I wouldn't be buying it. But certainly, if it ticked back up, and it got back up about 50 cents or thereabouts. So be, this would be a buy for me. Um, but I like their numbers. Their numbers are really quite impressive. And they're getting some good um, content as well. You know, with the Olympics, of course. Uh, there's The Voice, you know, it's all these other, The Ashes coming up, the AFL. They've got all these great um, programming uh, that going forward. And, and good, strong revenue growth in advertising. So... It actually looks really good. I, I would definitely be looking. It's a hold at the moment, and I'd be looking to buy it when it turns back up. Okay, uh, Gaurav. Um, David, David forgot to mention they apparently have some decent morning show as well, yeah. which I don't know. Which I've is never a, seen it. But quite good. Which is a massive <laughs> revenue driver. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> um, look, I've got to say this was a stunning result. Um, you know, every result season, there's a handful of results that make you sort of look at a company in a new way or, or, or make you rethink what you thought about a business. And um, and this has done that for me. I was genuinely surprised. I mean, I think we all kind of expected a better result because of the Olympics and because of lockdowns. But the, the digital business in particular really surprised me. They are shooting the lights out with that digital business. And not only are the metrics good, but they've actually articulated a strategy um, to sustain very good numbers out of digital. And I think they're integrating digital and non-digital um, platforms really intelligently. Uh, it's it's not a word I've used for this industry in the past very often, but both nine and seven, I think, have gone through something of a strategic renewal. There's some some interesting ideas coming out of these companies now. and. It probably deserves a rethink. Um, so we've been very negative on this sector for a while. And um, it's hard to be anything other than negative when you speak to anyone under the age of 30, let alone <laughs> anyone under the age of 20 who just do not watch television anymore. But these digital platforms and the way they've integrated various other um, content properties with these platforms, there's a plan at work here and it, and it, it is working to some extent. So I think this is interesting. Um, I probably I look I'd put a hold on it for now. Um, both seven and nine, uh, it's something I would like to go back and and have a look at again because I think what my assumptions have, have really not been correct about these stocks and and I want to go back and have a look at it again. Yeah, more interesting and, than I thought. Hold. Yeah, uh, and James Warburton and the MD has paid down a lot of debt um, yes. out of all of this, so debt's pretty well under control, which was uh, a real knock on it in the past. Um, Gaurav Saul wants a view on Redbubble. Uh, Saul says, can I get an opinion on the stock after their results last week? 
share price um, uh, jumped up. Uh, what are the long-term prospects? Of course, uh, Redbubble is uh, an online marketplace for artists and craft and things like that, is that? It is a really interesting product. I quite like the product itself. So what it is is all these artists have designs that they that they launch on Redbubble, and a lot of them are sort of um, uh, a, a popular memes and and popular characters driven. Um, and you can get those designs then printed and made up into anything you can imagine: cushions, yeah. rugs, shirts, caps, masks. Um, and uh, so Redbubble will take the design, they'll pay an artist a sum, and they'll actually um, take care of the entire process of printing, payment, delivery, and billing. Um, and so it's, it's actually quite a good service for the artist involved, and yeah. it results in quite unique content, um, unique products for the purchaser. Um, the problem, it's a wonderful idea. It's, it's, I think the founder is still involved in the idea. The problem they've got is that the business that benefits most from Redbubble is not Redbubble, it's Google. Um, if you look at the the costs of this company, um, so much of the revenue just goes automatically straight to Google in AdWords and advertising. Mm -hmm. And every time I look at this business, it just reminds me that I should be owning Google stock. And um, <laughs> looking at the result now, I just it just gave me the same thought. This is an interesting business. This is not real. I wouldn't. You can't really invest in this. I, I don't think. I don't think it's a high quality business. I think it's nicely managed, a great product, but but Google owns the um, the value in the in the chain yeah. here, the and market. and not Redbubble. Okay. I, I I would sell this and go buy Google. Okay, David. Yeah, look, I I do like their global presence and the numbers. You know, they they consistently been um, you know the consistent growth here, and uh, they're certainly you know. Um, Got some recurring revenue, about 42% by the looks of it as well. But um, look, their their numbers, the latest numbers they came out with, I was quite impressed with. And they seem to be making some real traction here. So I do like it. And that's why you saw a big turnaround, uh, sharp turnaround in the share price when they reported last week. And so on the on the chart itself, if you look at the, this um, broker coverage out there, there's only about four brokers out there with a higher price target of about $5.70 on average, and it's um, well below that. So there's, there's um, certainly according to four brokers, they've got much higher valuation on the company. So when it was $7, there's no way I would have been interested. But down here, I've got to say, with the volume that I've been seeing here on the chart, and this spike turnaround, there's a, quite a sharp turnaround here, it's becoming interesting to me from a technical perspective. and. You look, they, they are making a lot of traction here in that mm. in that area. And um, I, I would be interested in it, uh, not to buy right now. Uh, if you've got it, I'd be holding it. But I'd be watching this. Um, look, this would be in my watch list. I, I do like it. So, mm. um, And they've got consistent growth. So it's, uh, to me, it's okay. a hold at the moment. All right. Yeah. Can and I be a bit more cynical that, David? Sorry, go um, ahead. I, if I can be a bit more cynical about that, um, I actually thought the result was was quite poor, and um, and I was surprised by the market's reaction. But the brokers probably smell a cap raising opportunity here, and I think you'd I'd be shocked if I ever saw a broker um, report on a business like this that's quite capital hungry that's less than the share price because um, that's <laughs> not how they make money. <laughs> yes, you are very cynical on it. That's what we love about you, which is great. Um, David, our final stock is uh, TPG. Uh, the yep. telco, of course, that is uh, um, 
sort of putting together Hutchison and Vodafone. So what do you think of TPG? Yeah, look, I you know I don't mind TPG, I think, especially with expansion of the NBN uh, program. But uh, look, they're, they're just um, going to say about TPG. Uh, look, I, I they had some good numbers here, but I don't know. I, I'm leaning more towards Telstra, to tell you the truth, than TPG. Um, I think Telstra's got um, a bigger market share here, and uh, but look, there, there's there's brokers out there that's got much higher valuations of around $7.50 for the stock. Um, it has been trending, moving back up here, as you can see. But um, look, I, I just think uh, I would prefer to buy it at a lower levels, to tell you the yeah. truth. And uh, I think if I had a choice, well, a choice between Telstra and this one, I'm, right now I'm more favoring Telstra as a buy. Uh, this would be a hold if you've got it, it's a hold. But I wouldn't be rushing to buy it today. I'd like to just see um, you know, how their numbers and, and yep. growth um, progress from here. Okay. Uh, Gaurav, you've been a bit of a Telstra fan for a while. What do you think of TPG? Yeah, we, we actually owned TPG until David Teo left. And the next day, in fact, that day we sold stock um, right. and slapped a sell on it. Um, and I'm really glad we did because this was a poor result, uh, a poor result. Um, the mobile business is really bleeding customers. Um, uh, it was bleeding customers under Vodafone. It's bleeding customers now. And this is happening in an environment where Telstra, you know, the bureaucratic elephant t um, in the room, who, you know, is, hard, is hardly the last word on innovation, is actually gaining uh, market share and Optus is gaining market share. So it's, it's clear who's losing um, in this sector. And it's, it's TPG Vodafone. Uh, the broadband business equally is was was not doing great. This has traditionally been a strength, um, and the numbers don't look all that appealing. Aussie broadband, which we own and huge yep. fans of that business, that's just wiping the floor with the industry. Um, um, and the, the best part of TPG has always been its corporate fiber business. This is a legitimately fantastic segment. You got they build dark fiber that goes from um, corporate offices into data centers into um, telecoms exchanges and. And corporates can get um, private, secure, super fast um, fiber access yeah. where they need it. This is 60% margin traditionally. This year, revenue down, margin down, profit down. Really, and it, and that part of the business is so diluted now that it doesn't really contribute to the whole. So I was unimpressed with this. I thought the tack on at the end about selling towers um, was just a way to get the share price up. Unimpressed with that. Um, this is a sell. Okay. All right. David Novak from Wealthwise Education. Great to see you, sir. Thanks for joining us. Likewise, Gaurav Sodhi from Intelligent Investor. Appreciate your time. Thanks, guys. See you, guys. All right, let's quickly run through our final five stocks before we've uh, got to go. BCI Minerals, uh, a no from Gaurav. Uh, certainly a watch from David. Uh, chart showing uh, share price going in the wrong, wrong direction, but put it on your watch list for when it starts to turn around. Tabcorp, uh, a yes from Gaurav, a no from David. Seven West Media, uh, a hold from both. Um, Gaurav's going back to have a look at it because the recent result has made him reassess Seven West. And um, David likes it as well if the chart can get up to 50 cents. If it, the, uh, the short-term pullback in the share price, if that turns around and gets above 50 then he'd be buying it. Redbubble, a no from Gorab by 
by Google instead, um, and a hold from David, and uh, with TPG, a no from um, Gaurav, he prefers Aussie Broadband and Telstra, and a hold from, uh, from David, although he prefers Telstra as well. Uh, if you've got any stocks that you'd like us to uh, have a look at, uh, put them in an email, thecallatausbiz.com.au. And uh, a reminder, you can see all the stocks in the calls portfolio, osbiz.co forward slash portfolio.